Welcome to the Faster Podcast by Flow Cycling, the podcast where we talk about anything and everything that makes you faster on your bike. This is Season 1, Episode 14, and today we have Nate Pearson from Trainer Road joining us on the show. Nate is the founder of Trainer Road and has completed the Leadville 100 mountain bike race and many other ultra-endurance events. Listen to this episode to get Nate's advice on how to go faster at your next ultra-endurance event. Hey, this is Chris with Flow. When we're not producing this podcast, our team at Flow is designing some of the fastest carbon fiber bicycle wheels in the world. As a thank you for being a listener of our podcast, Faster by Flow, we wanted to offer you 20% off your next purchase of wheels at flowcycling.com. Head over to our website and pick up a set of wheels to make you faster at your next race or ride. Simply use coupon code PODCAST, that's P-O-D-C-A-S-T, in all uppercase letters when checking out to get 20% off your order. Thanks again for listening to Faster. We hope you enjoy the show. All right, we have a bit of a different setting here today. We are live in Reno, Nevada for Interbike 2018, and we thought it would be the perfect opportunity to stop by and visit our friends at Trainer Road and Mr. Nate Pearson. How are you doing today? Good. Awesome. I'm actually tired. You're tired, are you? Yeah. All right, well, you got coffee, so that should help out, right? Interbike's tiring. Perfect, perfect. So uh, the big reason we're here today is we are always looking for ways for athletes to get faster, and our focus today is ultra-endurance events. And Nate, you've done quite a few ultra-endurance events yeah, in the past. Yep, and, I have. Yep, and just recently, you got the big belt buckle at Leadville with I did. 850. I did. I think it was, yeah, under 850 when it was 850XX, something yes. like that. a very, very impressive time and a huge goal for most people who go to Leadville. That's kind of the goal is to get under nine and do, get the big, big belt buckle. Yep. Okay, perfect. So what we want to do is we want to talk to you about all of the things that you've learned about ultra endurance events and kind of get your basic gist on what athletes can do to go to an event like that and find success like you did. We were talking about this before, but I just want to frame this as I am not a natural endurance athlete. I am not a pro because I think there's a lot of people who have amazing VO2 max stuff and they can just do anything and they'll, they'll have these amazing times. I am very much so like of a slow, a slow person who has developed their way to become faster and faster. Which makes so, it even more impressive. Exactly. Really, so right? I, yeah, yeah. So I just want to like, when someone looks at it, like I like the details and I'm not naturally gifted at all. And it's been a very big progression, like steps and stuff. So that's what, that's, and, I'm not, it's not like a six hour. No, light bill or no. Something and like I think though, in this case though, like you have to work smarter in order to get to the exactly. goals that you yep. want to accomplish. So that's, that's what I like to think is I just try <laughs> try harder. Try and you're smart and yeah. you keep thinking about it. So yeah, it's perfect. And you, I do a lot of the stuff wrong and then learn from that. Right. Perfect. Okay. So let's start with just your training. Cause I mean, without the training, you're not going to get there to what you're doing. So let's just start with how many hours per week were you training up to Leadville? Yeah. So it, you know, it varies. Um, because uh, there's the there's you know a little bit bigger weeks and a little bit easier weeks where you recover from the stress that you do on the bigger weeks. I do. I mean, tr- Trainer Road. I'm CEO of Trainer Road and co-founder. Almost a hundred percent of my training for Leadville and this long stuff has been indoors. And um, other than I did a few longer races outside, but I did not do any outside rides. It was all. I mean, I did a few outside rides, but it was almost entirely say ninety percent inside, and I didn't do anything longer than two hours. Um, wow. which blows people's minds because I was at Leadville and people are like, 
yeah, you know, I'm on Saturday, I got to go six hours. And then on Sunday, I'm going back to back another six hours. Yep. And they do all this long, slow stuff. And what I find for me is I don't recover very well. Um, my split when I train is a hard day, an aerobic day. So I do a hard day that might be 90 to two hours of intervals, uh, aerobic day, which is like uh, 90 minutes of aerobic workout. And then either a day off or super easy, 45% FTP for an hour. And sometimes I'll do that fanless okay. um, and then re- repeat that. So, so on your intervals, what type of, what percent of FTP are you holding on those harder interval days? Yeah. So on that one too, uh, I had a big buildup from, I just showed you guys from 275, uh, 275 FTP to 345 in about four or five months. Wow. And it was almost entirely done on sweet spot training, which is, uh, different ways to calculate, but around, I would say 90% FTP. And I would do oh, 90 long, minutes of that hour and a half, two well, hours no, of that intervals of it. So oh, okay. <laughs> what I would do on this is, and trainer road, there's training plans and stuff that have this, but it's, uh, progressions. So I think people make cycling training like more complex than it needs to be. Yeah. Think of it like weightlifting and you guys were going to do bench press like every week. If you did, if you did 135, eight reps, the next week you'd probably do 148 reps or at least try, right? Yeah. And then if you did six and the next week you'd do eight. Same thing with wattage-based training. I might start out with 10-minute intervals and then once I would do, you know, I'd have rest between each one. I could do that for two hours. Then I'd go 12-minute intervals. Then I would go 15-minute intervals and maybe 18 and then 20. And then if I got to 20, well, maybe then I would try it again and go at 95% FTP or 98% FTP and do that same thing. And over that period of time, your, your FTP is raising too. So what used to be 90, you know, going to 95 may actually now be 90 again. Exactly. Like it's, it's less about FTP and percentage FTP and more about the work that you're actually doing and just making sure that you're progressing through energy systems. Yep. Um, the other thing that I did while doing the sweet spot is I did some, a little bit of mountain bike raising, I did it. So some VO2 max work, but only like once every three weeks, okay. but it'd be a really hard VO2 max. And we're at, uh, 4,500 feet here. So I'd go down to sea level, which you can get, you can actually put out more power. Right. Yep. Um, you get limited at 4,500 and Leadville even more, yep. um, but how much power you can do. So you can, you can gain more out of your VO2 max workouts by going down there. And we're lucky enough that there's mountain bike races with really short, you know, two minute climbs. Yep. So I kind of look at that race kind of a B or C race, uh, C meaning I train the day before B, I take one day off yep. and I was like, Ooh, I can get a VO two max workout and kind of make sure that system doesn't, you know, just fall apart. Fall yeah. apart yeah. Right. Yeah. Cause if you do, if you do just sweet spot forever, um, your VO two max power takes a hit and lean up to Leadville. I want to do some crit racing and yep. stuff like nice. that. Nice. Nice. So going to an ultra distance, I mean, if you're not doing a ride, a single ride over two hours and then going to eight. Well, Minus I, see, I did 51. A, I did do, do that? a couple races. So I, I did Sagan Fauna, which is like four and a half. I did uh, Lost okay. and Found, was 100 mile gravel grinder, and that was like six. But I never went to the in triathlon. You get a lot too. I need to go the distance in order to complete the distance. And so you know you, what I mean? You don't feel that that's necessarily the case. I mean, you went from a two hour almost to a nine hour race, and yeah, you're fine with that. Yeah, it's it's about pacing yep. and nutrition. Yep. I feel, and also with. Uh, uh, I don't want to pitch trainer. I do want to pitch trainer, but <laughs> Go ahead. okay. Hey, we're kind of we're here, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, trainers in general, you get 
I feel like it's more bang for your buck because when I do those 90 minute aerobic sections or right. uh, sessions, I don't stop pedaling for a whole totally 90 agree. minutes. I ride a trainer a ton and it, it, I think you get way more fitness from a trainer. And then if you're doing mountain bike racing, I think you have to get the, the technical side of it too. You have to learn how to descend. You have to learn how to break and corner and all those things, but Leadville's not that technical and really you just need the fitness to get you through the race. Yeah. It, so if, if you like think of how many courses you have outside that you can pedal if I do a two hour workout where well, you can pedal for two straight hours, especially on a mountain bike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Like, and that's a, I put my mountain bike on the trainer sometimes, but I did most of my training on a road, road bike, bike on the trainer and the positions were similar enough. It probably would have been better to do it on the mountain bike though. Cause you want that specificity. Yeah. Um, muscle memory, all that stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Even a little change in hip angle can really affect it. Yeah. Um, you guys, but TTers, it's very dramatic there. Yeah. The, the good part is going from road to mountain is usually it's very subtle. Yeah, and it's it's uh, easier yeah. because your hip angle is even bigger. Exactly. If I was going to a more closed-off position, let's say I was always on the mountain and I was going to do a big, long yeah. road race, I probably wouldn't train a yeah, lot of my the hip, flexor, hip flexor, psoas, all that stuff starts to bind up on you. Yeah. It can be tough. So if you add up the number of days you were training in a week in order to prepare for this, how many days a week were you training? Um, chart. Yeah. I love it. Got a new calendar app we're launching. There we go. It's one, two, probably five days a week. Okay. Five days a week. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that sounds right. Because I would do that three on, one off, three on, one off. So it kind of, it, it fluctuates. What type of TSS were you hitting per week? So my peak that I did for the season, uh, my six weeks average was 563. But really my goal for the season was just to keep it above 400. Okay. And I did, which isn't that much, especially because... So all we talk about this a lot, but all training stress isn't created equal. Training stress being the uh, uh, what potential kind of fitness you can derive from it. Yep. And it's it's really easy to get a whole bunch of TSS if you're doing long outside rides. Yep. You can just rack them up. But if you're doing inside stuff, like a a really hard two hour ride might be 140 TSS inside, and that will just smash me. Yeah. But outside, you do that for over three hours and you can actually recover a little bit easier from it. Um, cause it's not all compacted down into one chunk. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's more intense. Yeah. And, um, I, for instance, you could get 300 TSS two different ways, just doing easy stuff every single day Yep. yep. or three extremely hard one hour workouts, like over six weeks, you're probably going to be faster doing those extremely hard workouts if as long as you don't get burnt out right. so it just when i say the people probably listen and say i'm i i do more tss than that but it's the structured intervals that i think like we don't have a really good measure in the cycling industry to, to say that the the structured intervals are actually uh you derive more fitness from that than just doing <coughs> long easy Correct. slow okay. rides okay so what, what was the tss for the race oh yeah that's a good question that was 359 but you got <laughs> no, but so the you lose power at elevation. So Leadville is at ten thousand feet. Yes. And yeah. uh, do you guys want to talk about elevation now or no? That's coming. Okay. That's me. I got a whole section on altitude here. I mean, I, so it's the you know normalized power. Your TSS is normalized power, and it's a ratio function between that and your FTP. But at elevation, you're not going to put out as much power. Right. So you're going to actually get less TSS. And if I were to do the same race at Sea level. Sea level. What it'd would be you, more. Do you know what it would have been? I don't know. I have probably over four for sure, right? Which is a huge day. I would say so, yeah. I mean, people do that in a week. 
you know, and you're doing that yeah, all yeah, in yeah. one straight day. Okay, so let's talk about this for a sec. So there's obviously the aerobic side of an eight to ten hour, you know, eight to twelve hour race, which you say that you you've got through two hour training sessions essentially. Yeah, with some of the longer stuff. Yeah, I think I did a five and a half hour mountain bike race, race too. Yeah. There's also the muscular strength. Your your musculoskeletal system has to be able to endure. 10 hours on a bike, roughly. Yeah. So do you feel like your two-hour workouts hurt you in any way with that? Did you cramp? Did you have any muscle issues? And if you did, um, do you think a specific strength training in the gym could have fixed that? Or do you just need long rides on the weekend to fix that? Yeah. So there's two parts of that. One is I I knew that my position was, was pretty good. Okay. And like, you cannot find out how you're going to feel after five hours with two hour rides. Right. <laughs> no, yeah. Like, so that's what I'm saying. Like, did you struggle on the race with that? I, I did after, uh, there's a section where you have Columbine where you have to push your bike up loose stuff and twist. Okay. And I started to, at like 12,000 feet. That is when I started to hurt. And then <laughs> I it could be 12,000 feet. Yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> uh, it got darn right dangerous. Cause you descend this really fast open fire road at like, you can go 40, and I was literally sitting, like I had my seat dropped, sitting on my seat, one leg down, because I was so tired. When, you know, you should be like hip hinged and low. Yeah, right position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. I saw Howard yeah. Gratz, Gratz go down and his like, his chin was like right next to his stem. And he was, you know, he looked like a downhill racer. I was not like that. Wow. I think that. Like you're riding a laid back beach route. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Just waiting for the front wheel to slip out. I think that what you can do is. And, and to some of your other races, after the race, you see what part of your body hurts. Yeah. Because um, during the race, too, everything's tired, and I'm not really thinking about it. Sure. But after the race, like my neck, my triceps, and my back. Okay. Right? So I've been trying to work on that lately to strengthen those. And I totally think that strengthening those muscles would, especially in the gym, uh, is, is an easier way to get that strength than to say, I'm going to strengthen these muscles by doing eight-hour outside rides. Yeah. I do an eight-hour outside ride, and it's like a at least a week. I mean, I don't even think I've ever done an eight-hour outside ride. Really? I, I just did a race, a four-and-a-half-hour race here a couple days ago, and I'm still tired from that. Like, it just saps the energy out of me. Um, it takes a – for me, I get more fitness by doing kind of the, the little small, like – Yep. A lot of uh, some training stress, recover, training stress, recover, then this big, huge mountain of training stress. And then I have to recover for like a week. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it just doesn't work for you. It doesn't work for me. It could work for some people, but sure. not me. Cool. All right. Let's get into some altitude stuff. Uh, uh, I mean, obviously altitude has a huge effect on performance. Do you have any tips that you can get when it comes to acclimating for elevation um, we've heard, you know, 24 hours or three weeks, different things. Yeah. What do you think? I, that's, so that's, um, I, I, uh, I don't like that. Well, I, I like it, but I don't, it's annoying that everyone says that because one, it's really hard to get to the race 24 hours ahead of time. Yeah. It's and almost two, impossible. It's, it's even harder to be there for three weeks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so what about all the days in between? Right, right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so is it better to be- <laughs> Mobile what, office. What if I could do five? What if I could do 14? Right. Uh, what's better there? And there wasn't any real data on that. Yeah. The thing that, the only, this isn't a study, but Team Sky, uh, one of their coaches said that after seven days at elevation, yes. they saw a very- like a, a huge increase in the power data from their riders after just seven days. 
Really? Yeah. So I was, I banked on that. I went up a week ahead of time and there's some, uh, a couple, there's some tables you can look online. If you just look at powered elevation. Yep. I have it actually here. That's one of my next topics, but yeah. basically I think Joel, I, Joel Friel had the table that I saw and it says at 10,000 feet, you, even if you're acclimated, you can hit about 83% of your sea level FTP. So if you're not acclimated, that drops down to 79. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if you, if you go into the race with a 300 FTP, you're going to lose 20% off the top, which takes you down to a 240, which is a huge difference. It's, it's gigantic. So I came in at a 330 FTP. Um, I'm a big guy though. I'm 198 centimeters, six, six and 185, 186 pounds, which is like 84. Yeah. Um, and so I came in at 3.30. At sea level, that would probably be about 3.45. And I came in a week ahead of time. That I did a ride, and I stayed at 10,000 feet. I did a ride when I first got in there. I felt really good. Like, I think I was only there for like 18 hours. Yeah. I felt great. Three days later, I did another ride. You and felt terrible. Yeah, I thought. <laughs> I raced on that in that time frame once. I, I tried to hit the 24-hour window, and I missed it by six hours or 12 hours, and I just blew up. It was horrible. <laughs> my According to these tables, my adjusted FTP up there should be like 290, 300, depending on which scientist you think of what the sure. <laughs> what it is. Yeah. Um, barely on that day, and I've done a lot of, lot of power training. I can kind of feel my FTP. I think it's like 270 would have been generous to try to climb like on that wow. third day. And the way you can kind of feel it too, for those who don't have a power meter is there's this level where you can kind of sustain it. But then if you go any harder, it gets extremely hard yep, very quickly. Right. Yep. Um, so, and then at the race day, a whole week later, I actually felt really good on race day and, and didn't really have a huge power drop off with my numbers. So, so where think? were you? Yeah. Race what day. You, what was the percentage then? So you, you're almost agreeing with team sky that it, Day seven makes some pretty good sense. I was pretty good, yeah, at a week. And I think that's more reasonable for people to take vacation and stuff yeah. or, yep. uh, or work remotely a week, but not three weeks is not okay. a very yeah. so likely do you, thing. Do you recommend – so let's say you go up to a race like this and you're at day seven. You can get up there a week ahead of time. Do you think it's wise for athletes to do an FTP test a day or so before the race no. just to – No? So no, you, no, you no, say no. just do the math and, and do it. Do the math and then go conservative. Um, because on, on a race like this, it, it's a war of attrition, right? So <laughs> the, and Leadville has its own kind of pacing tactics with groups and stuff, but it's so much easier to start a race, go a little bit easier and then pass people the entire race, yeah. uh, then to have the opposite. And you think like triathlons too, right? Oh, uh, yeah. It's so much easier to pass people through the race yep. than to just get passed and passed and passed and passed and then yeah. feel horrible. So what's the quick formula on it's that, just that the tables? Yeah. You, you have a. Yeah, it's basically here. So at 10,000 feet, you're roughly 80, 80% of your FTP. So I, and I did the, so I reduced, what I did for pacing is I reduced my, uh, I, I uh, reduction of FTP for elevation. Yep. And one thing too, is you got to make sure you're real truthful with yourself about your FTP. Is. Yes. There's the FTP you tell everyone. <laughs> and then what is what you actually think it is? You yeah. don't tell anyone that one. Yeah. But take that number, reduce it. And then. You know, if you can do some test rides and stuff and, yeah. and feel, but be aware of that you're going to feel worse in the middle of the week than at the end of the week. So why did you say don't do an FTP test at elevation? Too much stress on the body before the race? Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. Okay. Yeah. Even your ramp test? That doesn't seem too bad. Uh, you know, 
Yes, and I could see if it goes wrong, it could just mess your brain up. Okay. Uh, okay. It, Go in with what you know and do the yeah. math. And... Okay, now the race starts at 10,000 feet roughly, right? And yeah. it climbs up to, is it 10-4 or 12-4 or 12-6? 12-4, I think. 12-4. Did you notice a big difference between the 10 and the 12-4? Yeah, and you can even see uh, my power drop off really? as it goes down. I climbed Haleakala in Hawaii, which is like, that you level. go from yeah sea level to 10, 10, 10 yeah and you can just see my power file as the elevation goes just up yep falling off just falling yeah so when you were on day 7 and you did the math did you go with the acclimated value or the non acclimated acclimated yeah so you you considered acclimated at day 7 i did and okay. i i wanted more and, and that worked out worked. when my results showed it too like with the amount of power i did which i did i was thinking i could do about 200 for the race Yep. And I did 212 normalized power. So that was I a have point. all your stats here. I did my homework. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to post this table because this is actually a really cool table. So for the people that are listening, we have a table in front of us that shows basically if you're at sea level and all the way up to 14,000 feet. Uh, and then it shows you a number, a percentage to multiply your FTP by uh, based on if you're acclimated or non acclimated. Yep. And then that will give you a, a, a number to hold during your race. That's actually a really cool table. Cool. Uh, okay, let's get into, is it carbo loading or carb loading? I don't know. Probably carb loading. Let's call it carbo. If it's the 80s. Carbo is yeah. kind of like that new trendy word, carbo. Yeah, I think it was exactly. cool in the 80s. Like it was carbo. carbo loading. Yeah, exactly. So you are um, a bit of a legend when it comes to, to carb eating. loading. Yeah. Like, you can eat like a horse. And so basically, let's just talk about it. What are the benefits of carb loading? Okay, so- there's been a lot of research on this, a lot of research in carbs in general. And over the years, like it is carbs have gone like out of fashion. Yes. Maybe the, now they're coming in a little bit more and people listening to this were like, no, the best way to do long endurance events is become fat adapted. Don't eat carbs. They're going right. to give you cancer and all these diseases. <laughs> um, and you guys actually had someone else on your podcast recently. The kind of the way that I've eaten and the way that I've really in, increased the ability for me to train more and, and, uh, raise my FTP is the, the whole foods. Yeah. It's a endurance diet. Some, I think you're, Dr. Stacey yeah, Sims. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, to, to do, uh, whole foods, you know, sweet potatoes, lots of vegetables, yep. lots of fruits, yep. whole grain breads, that kind of stuff. No Oreos. So I might anger some people who are into the fat thing, but I tried that and it was horrible for me. When you say the fat thing, what do you mean by the fat thing? Where like fat the, adapted. the ketogenic, the paleo oh, yeah, yeah, type yeah, like thing keto, where you yeah. basically cut everything and you just eat a ton of fats. You train with it. You eat different food when you train. And I, my blood levels were all messed up. I, I was for the first time in my life. And then I met Stacy and mm-hmm. she got me on this diet. That was years ago, right? Years ago. And I, yeah. like in Overnight, I was better and training better for sure. And you, you find the same thing. Yeah. And I, I never did the fat adapted, but I just wasn't, I didn't realize how little carbs I was eating and I weighed my food and everything. And I tried to now eat like 70% during the day, okay. which is a whole bunch. You got to go eat pretty low fat or else you, uh, your calories just, you have a ton of calories. Right. Right. Um, and I think there, there is a spot for fat adapted athletes in ultra endurance running, especially where you can't take in food, Yeah, but triathletes in and, and endurance riders for these, these type of events, uh, there's so much food, right? Right. right. Like yeah. you've never, uh, <laughs> like ever yeah, you yeah. don't even need like more than one bottle on your bike. No, there's so many aid stations. And then if you're doing something like Ram where you're just, you're, you're race across America, yeah. you're going for multiple days. 
and you you just can't eat enough to keep up over those days. Right, right. Th- those situations seem good for me. Um, so, so, so I don't remember the question. Ba- what is what is <laughs> <laughs> what is carb loading do? Oh yeah, so it just what it does yeah. is you you actually get more glycogen in your muscles, um, which each gram of glycogen I believe you carry four grams of water, or is it three grams of water? Okay. It's around there. So as you carb load, you're actually uh, your muscles are going to feel more full. You're going to have more water. You're going to weigh more. But what it does is it lowers the RPE of your effort. Really? So rate of perceived effort. Yeah. And yeah. there's a lot of research on that, that as you're going, things don't hurt as much. And anecdotally, I feel like if I don't eat enough carbs, my legs get sore. And after yep. training, they're sore. And when I get really full, the soreness goes away. And you can actually – I'm, I'm, I'm not fat, but I'm not super lean. When I also carb load, like – your muscles get so big, you feel like you just gained a whole bunch of fat. We all have that problem when our muscles get so big. Yeah. I mean, no, I, I mean, it's, it's no one else would notice. <laughs> yeah. But when you do it and you flex your leg, but the fat gets pushed out too. So bodybuilders have this. And if they have a low body fat, yeah. it looks amazing. But as a cyclist, when it happens to you, when you have fat too, it doesn't, yeah, it just got to be like aware <laughs> of that, that you're going to feel fat. Okay. So, so let me ask you this real quick. You said that you get muscle soreness with when you don't carb load. If you just go, if I don't eat carbs. Okay, yeah. so if you're on a long ride and you don't take in nutrition, do you find that your muscles get more sore after that ride? I think so. Yeah, because I just did a ride this weekend and I've been fueling through all my rides and I forgot my nutrition. It was a four hour ride and I thought I'll just deal with it. I was so sore after that ride. Yeah, interesting. I don't okay. know. So that's I don't know. If there's I don't have any research on that, but that's how I. That's how you felt too. Interesting. And when you say carbs, are you talking like complex carbs, simple carbs? How are you splicing up your carbs? Are you eating like a ton of vegetables? Are you eating like a ton of bread? When I'm loading, uh, I'm doing oatmeal, brown rice, sweet potatoes, uh, different types of oatmeal because there's like the cream of wheat. There's like a whole wheat cream of wheat you can buy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Steel cut. Uh, I'll do whole wheat pasta. It gets really tiring. And- the reason I don't do – I read one study that I said that <laughs> rice, not like – not these amount of carbs. Uh, rice loads better than bread. Okay. And the reason that they thought – they didn't know for sure, but they said that um, bread, you know, there's yeast in it and there's yeah. more surface area. So you digest it faster than something thicker oh. like Yeah, yeah like, a, like a circle, yeah. like a, yeah. a, a ball. So how I think of I, – I, I don't know if this is true, but how I think of it in my brain at least is that I want – things to take time to digest. So I have a more even release. So my body has a, a greater chance to absorb yeah. the carbs. Yep. And you know, you can only uh, absorb about 60 grams of glucose an hour and about 30 grams of fructose. Yep. Okay. Um, somewhere around there, it's yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. 65. Yep. And so a total of about a hundred. And so what I want is more fiber in my system and things that to digest slower to kind of even that out as much as I can. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a there's a hilarious video of Jonathan who we had on episode one of this actually uh, on his Instagram story of you you had already eaten a ton of food and then you went into the kitchen where you guys were staying and you were trying to eat another entire box of cereal yeah and I the did look it. on your face yeah. just like <laughs> I didn't know he did that you were being tortured <laughs> yeah so the amount uh, there's different ways to carb load okay and I think the classic way was like you. Uh, over multiple days, and then there was someone who said you need to deplete yourself. Do this, do this big ride. Yeah, it's like carb. It's cycling, right? Called carb cycling. That was a huge thing a while ago, where you would eat carbs and then you would stop and you would eat like all like yeah, no carbs and then you would cycle. Yeah, and that, that seems hard too. 
And then I, I read a, a meta study, so a study of studies, and they said you get to the same place. Okay. So the easiest way that of all the ways that they suggested for me was two days. Yeah. Two days between like nine to ten grams of carbs per kilogram of body weight. Wow. So it's so for me that's, that's a ton of carbs. Yeah, eight hundred and forty. Um, I think it maybe even go up to eleven. I think I was doing like nine hundred and fifty grams of carbs. So almost four thousand calories of just carbs. Um <laughs> for two days in a row. It's like an event and you have to <laughs> I've done it I've only done it successfully twice and it's two of my best races. And uh, if you look at the results in Leadville or another one lost and found, that second half of the race, I feel great and I'm passing so many people. And so, when do you do that that 4,000 calorie day? Two days Where, before. Two days before the race? Yeah. And then the morning of, I'm trying to do uh, like, I think 400 grams of carbs. I think, yeah, in the morning, which How is long, really hard. Like an do. hour, within an hour before the race? Three hours. Three hours. Three to four hours. Yeah. And then right before the race, I'll do... Um, Maybe like 20 grams of fructose or yeah. uh, sorry, of glucose. Oh, wow. When yeah. you were doing this research, did you find any competing theories with carb loading versus, so you've just said, you know, you get this. Four. Yeah, yeah. People send it to me. So a lot of like, there will be um, things saying that people who carb load and people who don't carb load after three hours are in the exact same spot. Right. Um, and some of the other uh, negatives that you get is when you carb load, you gain weight because there's all that. Uh, yeah. Glycogen and the water, like you physically have more on you. So your watts per kg goes down. Exactly. And, you, yeah. and if you're climbing a lot, like, oh, I could gain, like I might gain four or five pounds carb loading, okay. but I'm bigger than most people. So I would gain more. Yeah. Um, but the one thing is if it's like carrying that more water, it's actually good because you're more hydrated. Oh, right. And especially, especially over the, a nine hour day. Right. It's really hard to stay hydrated. Um, and maybe I am in the same spot. And I don't know why this happens, but performance, if you just look at performance, um, in my experience, it's been very, very helpful. And I think there's other research saying that it does increase performance, okay. even if the markers say there's no difference. And I don't know why okay. Why those two things – like a lot of things in science, you know, right? They disagree. Yeah. Right. I don't know why. But it just works or – you feel it works for you or it doesn't. And I'm starting to get hungry after yeah. <laughs> cereal. <laughs> Do you have any advice on things not to eat when carb loading, like things that can just kind of derail you? you got to eat a ton of brown rice to get 4,000 calories. Oh, it's hard. Like how much – so can you eat something denser like sugary cereal? Yeah, I did some tart cherry juice. you got to make sure just – like fruit's easier, um, but fruit is – it has a lot of fiber too. It does. And I, I eat a lot of fiber and I actually like, I like eating fiber for a race because it, it gets me to be very like consistent yep. so I can go the morning of. Yeah. Yep. And I have like this, I have like three <laughs> times morning of, that's the best way. Uh, but I, seriously, yeah. like, I don't know why people don't do fiber right before because I don't, I don't want to change my diet, go low fiber and then not be able to go race morning. Yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah, it's yeah. coming out. Somewhere on the course. Exactly. Yeah, that's not. So is there anything that can derail it, something you would not eat? Yeah, anything with a lot of fat. And that's so, like, you. it's amazing. You say, like, I want just a little bit of butter on this, or I want just a little bit of olive oil with these, like, hash browns I'm making. And the amount of calories that that adds to it. Oh, it's huge. Yeah, it's like a... Well, it's nine grams per... It's nine grams or or calories per gram versus four for proteins and, and carbs. So, yeah, it's more than twice. Okay, so that's that's your nutrition before the race. Let's talk about your nutrition 
during the race. And we did a podcast with Daryl Griffiths from Shots in Australia. And really your stomach is the limiter with everything. Mm-hmm. So when you're racing, your stomach can absorb, you know, best the best stomachs can do about 400 calories per hour. You can absorb about a liter of water an hour. And you, I think the uh, sodium was about 1200 milligrams that you can absorb. So for an eight hour race, you're going to burn a lot more calories per hour than you can take in. You're going to, your skin is a huge organ compared to the lining of your stomach. So you sweat a lot more fluid out than you can absorb through your small lining of your stomach. So really you're trying to minimize your losses. What did you do on race day for your, your nutrition plan and how did it, how did it work out for you? Yeah. So it's a, it's an eating competition. Okay. And <laughs> I love so, that. It is. It is. No, it, for nine hours, it has to be. It is. And so many people, they like, I don't know if it's, it's like a mental block, but they're like, I'm going to do one bar an hour. And it's like 150 calories. And you just said it right, mm-hmm. like 400 an hour. And then they, they have all these problems. Like they are so not performing up to where like their bodies could perform right. Right. just because of eating. Okay. Um, so again, I... I get into the the ratios between glucose and fructose because I want to, they absorb on different pathways and I want to absorb that 100 grams of carbs or 400 calories per okay. hour. So what I did is SIS gels, which I, I like, and they have, they're supposed to be isotonic, meaning you don't have to take water with them. Yeah. And they just go down pretty uh, easily on the mountain bike. I can, I can squish them. I have what, some here. What is that isotonic? That means you don't have to add water to absorb it. Like if you eat a bar, your body actually has to take water. Fluid. Yeah, fluid to okay. be able to digest that. So you don't want to uh, – water is a scarce resource in these races. Right. You want to conserve yeah, that yeah, as yeah. much yeah. as possible. Uh-huh. So even with sodium, I know like if you – like shots, for example, is, is an example. You have to mix the ratio of that to get it into your system. So what I actually do is I just take the package, I open it, pour all the powder in my mouth, and then have to drink a bunch of water after. You're saying with these SIS gels, you don't have to – pound a bunch of water in your system after you take it well yeah it's the it's the gel though it's the carbs so do you it's get the, sodium in it though too uh you can in some of them yeah oh interesting i mean different levels yeah. there's they have a electrolyte mix that has more sodium that's cool so then i i do those and those are all glucose and i did honey stinger gels and those are uh chews those are the only ones that i know that have a one-to-one ratio between fructose and glucose okay and then uh, I think there's there's other ones that have more fructose, but I like to have the the chews just to change the flavor Mix it profile. Up. Yeah. Yep. So I I did the math, and that was scratch. I could do two bottles of scratch. I think an SIS gel and a pack of the chews, yeah. and that would put me at the 100 grams per hour with the 60 30 ratio. Okay. And I don't you should this is off the top of my head. I don't really remember exactly, course, but it's something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. The other thing I did is before the race, I also uh, pre salt loaded. Okay. So scratch makes a hyperhydration mix, yes, which is a whole bunch of salt the night before. And I would do that the night before. And then morning of, I would have another maybe 32 ounces of water with their hyperhydration mix. And that's to carry even more water so, on board because yeah. I, uh, Oh, you're, you're, uh, the sodium makes you retain more water. Yep, yep. Okay. And I want, so that with the glycogen loading and the, the, the salt loading, I'm getting a whole bunch of weight, but the weight penalty, people are I think you guys know people get so con- like yeah, it's- so <laughs> concerned about weight yeah. when you got to think of after five hours if I can put out sixty more watts because I'm not cramping. <laughs> yes, like, right. The extra two pounds of water, or whatever, Did does nothing. not matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yes. It doesn't matter at all. So basically, they're showing up like a water balloon. That's kind of the goal for you. Yeah. Okay. But it's gonna all come out, and really after uh, like five hours, I might start the. Ri- by the time the f- I don't know this for sure, a fact, but this is what I think in my head after like four or five hours. 
I am now as hydrated as everyone else was at the beginning of the race. Exactly. Uh, right. Because I've been a, a camel. Spot to be. yeah. whole, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Rather yeah. than the almost okay. lost. So now I get the impression with a race like this that your the feed zones and your support crew can be absolutely critical. Can you second that? And do you think that you could have done as well as you did at this race without your support crew that you had? Because it sounds like Jonathan and Chad did a bang up job for you. Could have done a little better with <laughs> I made one mistake. Uh, so, I mean, yes, you, a support crew is huge. Okay. Um, I don't even know. I didn't even see like regular aid stations, but I think I only stopped for three three minutes or something over nine hours or wow. three hours. So three you minutes. basically rolled through. I, we, we try to do NASCAR like as okay. fast as you can because a lot of races like this, especially when you have a, a time cutoff of nine, yeah. like it's easy just be there and, you know, you kind of sit there and you fill your own water bottle up yep. and that takes 30 seconds and you do that six times and that's, yep, that's, that's three more minutes. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Um, so we knew exactly. It would reach in my pockets, take everything out. I had baggies labeled for each, like for each aid station that we're going to be at. I said, this is what I want in my pockets. So they would take, I reach in my pockets, grab everything out, put the new stuff in one pocket. Another person would put the bottles on my bike. We actually did helmet switches too. Which I would have changed a little bit. I between. heard that. Yeah, you but, went from arrow to breathing. Right? Yeah, like a cooler helmet. Yeah, and again, like people need to be more concerned about aerodynamics. Um, on Leadville, it's it's like a ninety minutes of climbing and then ninety minutes of flat. Yeah, and then yeah. a big climb and then another ninety minutes of flat. And there's thirty road miles. Or you said three hours of of road riding, right? Yeah, which is on pavement. Uh, no, a flattish, right? Where you're flattish. at higher speeds. Okay. The other thing people don't think about, like mountain bikes are like, we don't need aerodynamics. We're going so slow. But Not true. And a lot of these times too, <laughs> you'll be at like a, a down like one or 2%. So maybe you're going 16 miles per hour, but then you're in a 15 mile per hour headwind. Right. Right. So now the effective wind speed is 31 30, miles yeah. per hour. And you're like, I'm on a road bike going 31. You're never doing that on a TT if there's no wind. No. no. And you're Aerodynamics are suddenly a huge importance. Huge. I, I agree. Well, Chris was saying last night to some of the guys in Leadville, they're starting to use clip-on TT bars oh, yeah. for those sections of the races yeah. because it's it saves – I mean, obviously, your body is the biggest drag did, on it. Did you have any aero clip-ons or anything like that for the race? No, um, but I would put my hands together on certain sections when I would bridge up between and groups. And drop down. And drop down. Uh, not drop down because I lose too much power and it would be too tiring for me. Okay. But yeah. I would just kind of grab close to the stem. So yep. I'm doing my a, a 30 mile mountain bike race. I'm my goal may be to to do Leadville next year, and I've like unofficially officially announced that right here. But uh, I think Arrow's big, and the race that I'm doing this 30 miler is there's one big climb out and back. You go over it twice. And the rest of it is the are these really flat roads. And I've been looking playing with the aerodynamics of it. And just dropping into the aero bars, you're gaining a mile an hour or more mm-hmm. as you're riding. So I just looked at buying a set of clip-ons for my mountain bike for these long, you know, fire road type events that you you can gain a lot of time with it. Yeah. That's and very interesting. I uh, I wore a skin suit. <clears throat> I know with your guys' podcast with Ryan Cooper, he said, do that last. But man, if you got to buy a, you have to buy a kit anyways. Right. Right. So oh, if you're buying a kit, I would recommend. Just, just buy the skin suit and position and going to aero bars. There's a lot. It's it's not just like I'm going to change my position. Now it's all good. It's you got to change your position. Now there's going to be pain and adaption, and you're going to tweak it like a thousand times. Yep. A skin suit, if it fits, it's just you spend it's the done. money and it's done. It's like wheels, right? Yeah, just, just buy them, <laughs> just put them on, and them, they're good. Put them on, and you're, and you're, done. And you're yeah. good to go. You don't have to do more stuff. So, yeah. um, 
I had a, a, a skin suit. I didn't think I saw any other amateurs with a skin suit on. And I don't, why wouldn't you do a skin suit? Um, I have a skin suit for my race coming up. It's 30 good miles. Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. On these long races, in my opinion, this is looking at other people's times and how fast they went. I believe that one watt is about one minute to one and a half minutes on the, the length of like a nine hour course. Yeah. Wow. So for every watt, because you, you think one watt is, that's not much, but over nine hours, it's huge, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so just wearing a different skin suit, like if you're going 30, a yeah. skin suit can save 20 watts. I've always said right? the fastest yeah. athletes, even the pros are the smartest ones. If you look at their bikes, they have every single mechanical advantage that they can, that they can and come it's up funny, with. Pe- people make fun of the guys who put clip-ons on these bikes, but Todd Wells, uh, Todd Wells, right? He won yeah. it in 2016 and he had aero bars on his mountain bike. He's doing something right, right? Yeah. yeah. So, so back to the crew stuff for a bit. You said uh, it looks like it's a tough job. Do you have any advice for somebody running crew and how, how can they help you as the rider on the day? What's the best thing? Yeah, so you have to move between the aid stations extremely fast um, and know where you're going. So in this area too, uh, if you can download maps, Google Maps offline, yep. that'll help a lot. Uh, also bring ice. The, the way that we could have improved our aid stuff is at the beginning of the day, they filled my my second hydration pack because I had switched off hydration packs and yep. I have a time with bottles where yep. it was more aerodynamic to have the bottles and a big pack on me. Um, by the time that the end of the race came, and this is like seven hours through where I am hot and I'm all the preloading is gone. Gone. <laughs> I got a hot backpack full of hot Martin, which is like, that's another, oh, yeah, that's yeah, another yeah. one that's mixed correctly with the ratios. Uh, and I just couldn't drink it. Oh. And it was two and a half hours till the end. And there was, it was in another aid station for like another hour and a half. And I just totally melted. So I kind of had a, I had a, a big blow up and that was a mistake because I had to carry around this five pound backpack that I couldn't drink because it was too hot. And then when it gets too hot, you can't eat too, right? Yeah. And what is Martane? Is that what you call it? Martan. Yeah. Martan. What is it's, it? It's the, so they developed it. I think it's, it's somewhere in Europe, but for the Nike sub two. Yeah. They they made it for that, and it's pretty much just a mix of glucose, fructose, and electrolytes, okay, but it's yep. in the right ratio. Okay. And on this race, I started out with that as a backpack because it is very hectic at the beginning. There's 2,000 racers in corrals, and you're climbing kind of double track, and you just can't – you're so close to everyone, you can't reach down for a bottle. So having the back yeah, yeah. for the beginning is very nice, and then you get to take it off later, and they put bottles on my bike. Right. And, and I kind think of you're a bit like me. You're not that good of a handler on a mountain bike. Mm-hmm. So I, for me, it's like a camelback or I'm falling off the bike. So well, I can, I can reach down for bottles, but <laughs> on uh, the fire roads, not yeah. on the technical stuff. Though. I got that tip from Rebecca Rush and she's won it and she's a very good handler, but st- even with her, it's, it's better to have that pack for her at the beginning of the race. Okay. That's okay. really cool. I like how you're switching bottles and bags for different mm-hmm. sections and helmets. That's, that's actually really clever. Yeah. Um, one of the big things that we've talked about on the podcast before is sweat. Uh, we talked about sweat with, uh, Daryl from yeah. shots. We also talked about, we talked about cramping. We have, a our attorney actually, Mike, awesome guy. He just completed his 10th Lodija. So he's done over 2000 miles out there and he historically has cramped time and time and time again. And so he actually took some of the advice of Stacy Sims and he took Tums and he, he did not cramp this year. Oh, really? Yeah, it was his no, first awesome. year. So yeah. I'm super happy. Sodium bicarbonate. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So he, it, yeah. yeah, so he used that. And um, 
he's an animal on the bike. I mean, he plays fourth in his division this year. He's always sub, yeah. sub nine on the, on the, on the load just so very impressive. So have you ever looked into sweat? I know that's kind of becoming uh, interesting. Have you done a test? Um, do you think that doing a test would help you in the future? What are your thoughts on sweat? I haven't, I want to just cause I'm a data nerd yep. and I don't know. I don't know if it will help me until I see the data. Right. Like if I'm somewhere in the extremes, I do. So I don't know what your other guest said, but this is what I know about cramping. Uh, they don't, they aren't exactly sure why people cramp. And I think that people cramp for multiple reasons. Yep. And they kind of get all, uh, so all three of us could cramp for a different reason. And if we're in a study and we're trusting hydration, right. But mine is I wasn't trained enough and maybe yep. yours is salt, um, that, it would, it would seem like, oh, no, it's not hydration, right? Because there's – I don't I don't know if we've identified cramping to a level. But I do think for me, if I don't drink, I cramp. Okay. Uh, yep. I've, I've had that happen a few times. I have too. Yeah. <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. Interesting. Um, let's talk about <clears throat> pacing for the race. Okay. So um, you went sub nine, as we know, and your FTP going in was what, 345? 330. 330. And what did that equate to for watts per kg? About 3.9. 3.9 watts per kg. Now, was that at Reno elevation? Yes. Okay, so if you you could adjust that for sea level, but probably that, like four point one. So about level. four point one at sea level elevation. What are we in elevation right here in Reno? Forty five hundred. Forty five hundred. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. cool. So um then is it safe to assume that four watts per kilo at Leadville would lead to a sub nine. I think you're doing less. Um, well, it depends. There's all the equipment things that I. Yeah, do, I was just going to say. I mean, if you if you don't, I mean, you have like you got NASCAR teams out there basically doing your gear changes. Yeah. I mean, if you mess that up too, I mean, you may need a five watt per kg to actually. Yeah. And equipment, pacing, groups. But the thing that I I'm bad at is descending. Okay. And I probably lost ten minutes descending. And my blow up. Um, you I, said you lost half an hour ish there, twenty minutes maybe. Yeah, I, I was the I was with the group, and I think the group finished in like eight twenty. Okay. Before I had my thing where I didn't drink and I had big problems with hydration. Yeah. Um, so I think four watts per kilo. If you are just not dumb and you do good setup, you can totally do sub nine. Okay. Okay. At four watts. Okay. So let me ask you this, just to get an idea of how how much fitter. The pros are, or people going. So I've heard Jonathan say that he may have Jonathan from Trainer Road. That he may have a sub eight goal. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any idea on how many watts per kilo that would take? I bet Jonathan could do it at four point five, because he would do all the things that I did. But he also has outstanding descending skills. Skills, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I mean, I mean, he'd probably be. I mean, you could go even less than that. There's a possibility that me at maybe four two or something I could go sub eight if I could handle my bike and, okay. and descend. Cause I mean, I'm, I'm descending some of these things at 20 miles per hour when a pro might be going 40 yeah, because I'm just so cautious and yeah. I don't want to loose over hard is scary going that fast. If you look at the, the tech stuff that you're talking about, like the, the crew and all that sort of stuff, if you nail that versus just not even considering completely screwing it up, how much time do you think you can lose over the race? Um, I mean, it depends on how bad you screw it up because it's what you're really asking is, well, what if you don't get your food? And well, you, you may don't? not even finish. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. Yeah, but let's assume you're you're 
you, you have enough food, but you, you're not doing it efficiently. So you don't, you don't get to the point where you just completely crash and you're on the side of the trail. I mean, how many times do you see people in big races where they spend five minutes at an aid station or 10 minutes at aid station, yeah. right? Yeah. And there could be six of them. So, I mean, that's 30 minutes right there that you're just like yeah. sitting at aid stations kind of like, oh, that was a hard climb. You like talk <laughs> to people and yeah. 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 And five minutes rest doesn't seem that long. You five minutes between an interval. But six times. Yeah. In a row, it's 30 minutes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. So let's go. So you, I'm going to go with you use power to pace yourself. Is yep. that right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So your numbers from what I, I did my homework, but you were normalized 212 for the race, yep. which worked out to an average power of 163, right? Yep. And that's about 50% of your FTP at Reno elevation. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's, that's a relatively low average if you think about it. And that's still got you a sub nine. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now you also said that your IF, which is your intensity factor was 0. 0.7. I was wrong. 0. 0.64. 0. 0.64. Yeah. I'm looking at it right now. Okay. So when you paced for the day. Oh, actually, uh, you know what is 0. 0.7 if you down adjust my FTP for elevation. Intensity factor. Can you explain that? Yeah. Intensity factor is your ratio between uh, your normalized power and your FTP. No, FTP to normalized power. So it's normalized. No, normalized FTP, yeah. So okay, that's normalized what I it was. over FTP. Yes. And that's your that's your intensity factor. Yep. Okay. One. So when it came to pacing with power, what did you do? Did you say, I'm going to try and hold? And so, you know, Ryan Cooper, for example, you've had him on your podcast. We've had him on our podcast. He'll, he'll spit out like turn by turn wattages to hold. Yeah. Did you do something like that? Or did you just go, this is a nine hour day. I'm going to try and hold 50% of my FTP or did, what did you do? I put it in best bike split. Okay. And then I got a limit of how much I was going to push on climbs. Yeah. So kind of an upper, upper level. Okay. And I said, I'm not going to ever go above that because that's these long races. It's always about pace. I mean, like not going too hard right? rather than in a, maybe in a sprint triathlon, you're like, I got to keep it above this number, above this number. And you're always looking at it, trying to keep it above. Yeah. Okay. It's the opposite, especially at the beginning when everyone's going super hard. So I had the, the climb kind of pace. And then I had the flat pace that I would do, yep. like, don't exceed this. And on the flats too, it's kind of don't go below, below right. this. Cause I, w- I wanted to gain a lot of time and me being a bigger rider, the flat would be my advantage. So what did that work out to for you, numbers-wise? Um, I think I wanted to do around 250 on the climbs. Which is what percent of your FTP? So down adjust, you're about 300. So mm-hmm. you're holding, what is that, like 83%? Roughly. 300. Yeah. What? It's exactly 83. Did you know that? I did. 83.3. I'm an engineer. I've done a little bit of that. That's amazing. Yeah. So you're, that's relatively high and on, but that's just the climbs. Yeah. And yes. So going back to my training, right? I am doing these 30 minute intervals at 90% multiple times. Like I am training for this exact thing. And I know the climbs and And you're not even going to the 90 you're going at 83 which exactly. is totally attainable and i know these climbs are are uh i think the first couple ones are like 30 minutes of climbing at a time yep and then there's a, the big one but so I, I i ahead of time i looked at that okay and i said so in my training i want to be more specific and i knew that sweet spot work can really be beneficial and not sure. burn you out so do you you always hear the thing, you only have so many matches in a race. Do you, you don't feel that you're going deep enough on those efforts to really burn all your matches? Yeah, okay. for sure. So then on the flats, what were you holding? Do you know? 
Uh, yeah, I'll look right here. Um, 2.30. 2.30. Yep. So, okay. So 2.50 on the climb, 2.30 on the flat. Can you can you nail a quick math on that one? Jeez, that would be 300, 240, 70, 72%, 70, 72? 76. Oh, oh. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> and then the reason that it's my, you know, on the second half, I, I did slow down the very end. I slowed down a bunch. And then the descents too. Okay. That would really low, that lowers your, because you're doing a whole bunch of descending at, at uh, Leadville. Okay, so let me ask you this. So athletes who go out and do a 40K TT, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you know your FTP, you're basically going to try and ride at FTP for that duration. Mm-hmm. What is your, you guys do a ton of work with power. Let's say an athlete's going to go do a two-hour race, a four-hour race, an eight-hour race. What percentage of their FTP should they be holding for these events that are over an hour? Do you have a table or a chart? Yeah, it, you can Google it, but it's very trainable. So it's not like you do an FTP test and you can suddenly hold this it's amount. specific, yeah. Yeah, So, but it's a range and you can get better at it. Um, off the top of my head, it, it's it's hard. I think actually Joe Friel's got some good stuff on this for Ironman about how you should pace on it. Okay. Um, I refer to that a lot to see. Uh, so let's say, let's say you do it, you look at his table. And he has the Ironman bike pacing. That's an eight-hour to 12-hour race for most people. Mm -hmm. Are you saying that um, you should just follow his Ironman pacing plan for this event? No, I would would raise the – well, so yeah, that's like for like maybe a six-hour bike ride I'll have it. Okay. And then I might actually do that six-hour and say that's going to be my goal for nine hours. Oh, okay. So you could extend it because you have to run a marathon. Right. Right. So you can go harder than it is before. And I've I've had enough training that I knew that – I think I, I before I tried to do 0.7 IF is what I could probably hold for nine hours. Sure. And I would look at previous races that I've done, so the, the six-hour one, and yeah. see what percentage I could hold for that. Okay. And just like you learn more about yourself. And So you basically take the bike portion. If it's a half Ironman or you know half Ironman, they recommend between 80 and 85% for most people of your mm-hmm. FTP. So if you were if doing quick. If you're quick, yeah. yeah. The pros are up in the 85 to 87-ish range. So, yeah. so you're going to look more – so if you're doing a four-hour race, you might say, hey, I'm going to try and hold that for four hours because I don't have to run afterwards. Exactly. Okay. Interesting. Um, all right. You guys interviewed Alex Grant mm-hmm. right before the race. Yeah. He estimated that he had about a 320-ish FTP, and he was aiming for high 200s. Now, that is a lot higher than your .7 IF. Mm-hmm. Do you know if he actually did that? And if so... Are pros just superhuman? How do they hold that high of a percentage of their FTP for that? He only raced for six hours and okay. 20 minutes, 30 <laughs> yeah, minutes. That is a good point. And I did it for nine. <laughs> right. That's yeah. a huge part of it, right? Yeah. So yeah. that makes it a lot easier. Yes, he Alex Grant is superhuman. But um, we did see his power file. We had questions about the accuracy of his power meter on that day, so we didn't go back to it. Uh, what, he, what he kind of suggested, I think he said he was going to hold like 280 or something. Okay. In general, I would be very surprised if anyone could do that high percentage for that amount of time. Okay. Um, especially at elevation and with uh, the amount of descending and climbing and stuff. Yeah, and he had an amazing day with a lot of troubles. He was still 637 or something, right? Yeah. Yeah, which is which is unbelievable. Okay, so for, for the average Joes like us, um, we'd be looking more at that 0.65 to 0.7 IF uh, yeah. for the day. But again, it's... Use this as like a generality. Yeah. And then in your other races that you do, start to learn. Yeah. 
as, as, a, as a baseball Another game. big thing that uh, I'm, I'm really big on is do new stuff on race day. Because everyone says don't do anything new on race day. But race day is so much different than every other day in training. Like yeah. you're more nervous. You're tapered. Like every single thing is different. And people are like don't do anything new on race day. But what I like to do is I will do stuff in training. But then I'm like on race day, here's how my optimal plan is. And I'm not going to eat you know, 800 grams of carbs loading up on a training day. No, 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 yeah, yeah, exactly. But I'll do this in lower priority races that I don't care about as much, like leading up to Leadville. So I practice race execution and I'll throw new stuff in there. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, but at least I learned something. So maybe the pacing would be an example of that is maybe I'll I'll start on a, on a practice race at 0.7. I've never held it in training. And I mean, Again, uh, uh, 0.7 for nine hours, like, don't go out and train that way. Oh, no, 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 no. But horrible. you could try it for a six-hour race and see how it feels. And you're like, hey, halfway through, yeah, it destroyed me. It did not work. Right? And then you adjust. Yep. So yep. I like the idea of doing new stuff on race day, changing it up, and just use it as feedback and be okay if you fail. Okay. What about the corral position? How important do you think that is? Huge. Gigantic. Where was your corral position? Uh, what was I? Uh, green green yeah green yeah no what's uh Gold's approach for people that don't know the difference between the corral positions at, positions at leadville explain the how that works yeah so it goes gold silver red green and green's like kind of in the middle and then uh but you know down from that and you the do number both. of colors yeah yeah then if you've never done it before you're in the white crowd and it's a it's a mass start mm-hmm. okay and so that it, position does matter it's so tight and that first climb so that first climb i wanted to do I actually wanted to do 270 on that first climb in order to get in a better group for the flats okay. because I was doing the math in my head. And if you can get in, if you can draft behind somebody. So it's draft legal, right? Yeah. 100%. Okay. Yeah. If you can draft behind someone, that saves way more watts than the extra 20 watts I was going to burn. Yes. But on that first climb with my corral position, I was doing 230 watts. So I was kind of freaking wow. out and I was very behind the pace to hit nine hours, even halfway through the race. Because it, it was so hard to go through. And the green corral is a pretty good corral. If, right. you've, if you've done sub nine before, you're on the green corral. So in the white, wow. yeah, the white corral rule of thumb is uh, about 30 minutes added to your time. Because so you just have to pass so many people and oh. there's so much uh, traffic. How did you break out of the clutter and move through it? What was your strategy for that? Um, I, I couldn't do it for about, let's say, mm, at least an hour. And then uh, there was a road. Okay, let's talk about your recovery before we get into our famous SWAT point question. Um, so as, as far as recovery goes, I mean, were you just completely destroyed when you crossed the finish line? Oh, yeah. I, uh, I cramped up. I fell. I didn't fall off the bike, but I didn't cramp up, but I was like kind of twitching. I wanted to fall asleep, which was weird. Uh, I've <laughs> never gone so deep. deep. Yeah. Someone, I heard something, I think you said in one of your podcasts that your, your hands were turning. That's in. what Jonathan said. Uh, he was there at the the finish line and he saw me do that. And he said, my ankles and hands were turning in. Which is a thermoregulation uh, issue or something. I don't know. I, I, Fetal position. Maybe? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> your body's like. It was hard. And then it took me, I had surgery a week later, but it was for the whole next week at work. Like I couldn't think. I didn't want to be there. I just even sitting in a chair was tiring. And you love what you do, so that's yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't like everyone's like that's every day at work. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> that's like me. I get up and I'm excited to go to Monday yeah. rolls around. I'm like, yes, I get to go back to work. Um, what about uh, right after the race? What do you recommend is best? Oh, pizza, beer, 
What do you I, think? I know whatever you want. Like, yeah. <laughs> just, just whatever makes you happy. Uh, IVs would be awesome, but. They don't do those there, right? Some Ironmans, Ironman, they do it if you want, but they didn't have any IVs. I, know, I think I you wanted an IV, right? I wanted an IV because I was so dehydrated, but I, uh, yeah, I think every race should have my, IVs would be nice. Another stickler thing I have is they didn't have cold water at some of the, their aid stations. Oh, which, I hate that. Why don't you, why don't warm, races why have. Who wants warm water in a race? Like I know. That? It's like they, so a nine hour race, they probably filled it up with ice at 7 a.m. And then nine hours later, it's it's, it's just yeah because they just keep opening it and closing with yeah yeah. yeah or, when you're that deep, I, we lived I lived in Vegas for years, and you'd go out and do four or five hour rides, and four hours in, there's nothing better than ice cold water. Well, it does two <laughs> things to you too. Uh, it actually cools your core down. Yep. I think you had a guest talk about that too. Yep. Um, so that will improve lower RPE and improve performance. And then the other thing is, uh, that's I don't know this for sure, but I've heard that actually cold water absorbs faster. Than like hot water. Interesting. Uh, I, there's different theories on like what. Well, there's some theories that even genetically that some people are better suited towards warm and cold. Really? And it's, yeah, it's kind of all over the place. I think I'm suited towards cold. So am yeah. I. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What about the days after? What did you do? Did, I mean, did you? I took an entire week off, and then I had a nasal surgery, so I took another week off. Yeah. And I came back, and I think maybe now I'm just starting like six weeks after to get back to where I was. Before Leadville, really? Yeah. What about a food perspective? Were you? How did you eat after? Uh, uh, Anything you want? So Postmates came to Reno, okay. uh, <laughs> yeah. which is like food delivery. Yeah. And I was at the same time. I had Wetzel's pretzels coming to my house and Five Guys. And this is after I ate a full dinner. So <laughs> I, love I, it. I gained. Uh, I, I have like a, a Nokia body fat scale, and it showed my body fat going down the entire like six months. Yeah. And then in one week. It went up to where it was six months before. No way. Yeah. And it's, it's your body's just so good at absorbing food. Yeah. And I ate just everything. You can uh, get your hands on. I love yeah. it. I love it. What do, What about a uh, time moving back to normal training? What do you recommend? Uh, start easy and start, uh, I think, trainer road, you do a ramp test to yeah. kind of get your zones re-leveled. Um, it can take a lot out of you. And just don't expect, I haven't done a two-hour workout since then. I'm starting with like our stuff because it's, it just takes so much out of you, especially, um, if you, uh, if you do everything right and I took a whole bunch of caffeine and stuff, I feel like you can deplete yourself more. You kind of get limited if you don't drink and eat, even though it hurts more, you're actually not putting out as much yeah. power over the time. Uh, so I, and, and maybe I think long term it's a little bit easier to recover if you, if you go hard for like four hours, but then just limp in for another four. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Um, okay. So we ask every guest our what point question and you've listened to some of our episodes, so you get the gist. So basically if a guest follows all of your advice from this show, uh, how many Watts is that worth? And we always do it based on a 300 watt FTP, which Conveniently at Leadville, you were about a 300 watt FTP. So if if somebody just blows their nutrition, their their you know their gear choices, their corral corral position doesn't really matter. But how many watts are is that worth in a race like this? I have a spreadsheet with this. Yes. Oh, all right, <laughs> man. We got a guy. Brian and I want to. And you are the only guys who had <laughs> spreadsheets. But I want to mention a few other things. So skin suit, I'm not sure. I'm going to say four watts on average just yep. because there's climbing and sure. stuff. Uh, number placement. 
So on uh, mountain bike races, they put you have put a number on your bars. Okay. And there's different ways to put that on your bike. Some people make it where it's perfectly like flat. Flat's good. They make it like perpendicular to the ground. Yeah. So you can make it parallel to the ground. So you, what you don't want to do is have like this billboard at the front of your bike. Right. right. You can imagine how arrow that is. Um, a lot of people do that. So what you can do is I kind of um, – I cut out a little – they always tell you not to do this. But don't cut the where the sensor is. You can look at the back and see like the, the sure, RFID yeah. sensor. I cut a little like slip out, out of it and I, I scoot it up to where my uh, my Garmin is. Like the, you know, the arm that yeah. holds your Garmin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it slips in there and then I try to have it kind of as – parallel to the ground as I can okay. yep. so that it's it has less frontal area. Yep. That's so easy to do. Right. You can still read it if you're coming up for race officials and stuff, but everyone else is like, it's like this old mountain bike thing where the, the number just has to be straight yeah, up like and down. Yeah, like a sheet of plywood driving with that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like a, literally a barn door, like what they yeah. talk about. So I estimated that to be three watts. I don't know. Like I could be probably more than three watts, but well, it's, it's funny you say that. If you look at Todd Wells right here when he has the arrow bars, this picture, he's oh. got his all bent over in an yeah. arrow shape. His is, yeah, his isn't even an arrow shape. That's probably even better than mine. Yeah, that's just super yeah. smart. Now and, that you say that, I'm just looking at that, yeah. And everyone there knows who Todd Wells is. Yeah, so exactly. Yeah. Know <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, and he's the first one who finishes. <laughs> yeah. Um, tires. We didn't talk about tires. We talk about that. Let's talk about that really quick because I've been looking at a lot of that. And you look at rollingresistance.com. They have a lot of mountain bike stuff on there. You can say um, you used a Thunderbird. Is that what you used? I used a racing rail front and a Thunderbird rear. Okay, and you have a lot of like the uh, I use Continental stuff, but Continental's um, Race King is very similar to the Thunderbird, where you have yeah. a really reduced tread pattern in the center and then some some lugs on the side. They even have the Speed King. Have you seen that? Yeah, it's like, it's basically like a road tire in yeah. the center, which I think would be a little little low. Um, that's a huge difference. You can yeah. save eight watts, ten watts with that. Uh, I didn't see a single person with a Thunderbird rear, uh, and I think they should have. So if you like a classic cross-country cross tire from Maxxis would be Icons. Yep. And according to bike, BicycleRollingResistance.com, yep. I think that's what it is, um, the difference between my setup and two Icons would be uh, 16.7 watts. Well, this is huge. Just from tire choice. Yeah. So if you want to go on Maxxis and go faster tires in Aspen, I don't have data on that, but just based on what sure. people say, that's what they think. Uh, so right there, like 16 watts just yep. by your tire choice. And what's well, 5% for a 16 guy like watts that. for that, four for a skin suit. You're probably looking at a water two with your, with your race number. That's, I, I mean. So the tires, I'm going to say with that one in a 1.25 minutes for every watt, that's 20 minutes just yeah. based on your tire. Yeah. So I would not have gotten my big belt buckle if I would have cho chosen different tires. And you always got to think about puncture protection and all that kind of yeah, stuff. But there's and not a lot in Leadville, right? No, people do. People do puncture in Leadville. And I don't know how, but okay. they do. <laughs> but it, you didn't flat, really you didn't have any course. issues like that? No, I have the, I had the snakeskin protection on the new addicts compound of the uh, Schwabies and they were fine. Cool. That's built into the tire. Yep. Okay. Yep. And, and tubeless. Like, <coughs> nice. Go tubeless, obviously. Oh, obviously. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> if you acclimate, uh, 15 watts okay. for my FTP. Yep. Right there. Uh, wax chain. We didn't talk about this. No, you did it. You doped the chain, yeah. I wax my chain and I wax my cassette. Interesting. Which is so. Did you have that done by a third party, or did you just did it yourself? We. I'll show you our waxing station here. You have a wax. No. Oh yeah. It's, <laughs> so uh, this is uh, 
waxing your chain, for those who don't know, you clean a perfectly fresh chain. It's hard to clean, yeah. but you got to clean it really well. And you go online to Molten Speed Wax. I'll tell you how to do that. And then you dip it in like paraffin wax. I use Molten Speed Wax and they put like Teflon in it and stuff. It's yep. pretty cheap in like a crock pot. You dry it out and then you get a very, very efficient chain. Um, triathletes have been doing it for a long time and a very silent chain. And especially uh, what's what's crazy is you'll go on a mountain bike race, five hours, very dusty conditions. You'll touch your chain and your hand will be completely clean. Wow. Because nothing sticks to the wax. Right. Um, and so I had a special, I had like a training chain and then I had a special race day wax chain that I did one ride before to be able to, to use it. And just a dirty chain with, uh, if you have like a, a dirty chain and you might, it might look clean on the outside, but inside the pins and stuff, yeah, yeah, yeah. that doesn't get clean if you have tension on your chain and you're scrubbing it. Like you're not scrubbing inside those pins. Okay. No, nope. You can use ultrasonic cleaners, which we have, and you, you take your chain off and do that. Um, but The chains aren't that expensive. No. No. Yeah. So, uh, and it makes your chain last longer actually too to wax it. Yep. Okay. We have two different crock pots here. We have a race crock pot and a training crock pot. You guys got a second line of business going here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the training crock pot is to be able to, uh, if you already waxed your chain, that you can re-dunk it very quickly in the training crock pot. And there might be a little bit of dirt in Without there. Without contaminating the yeah. race crock And the race one is just purely like, you know, pristine chains. Okay. So I'm going to say that's about seven watts. Wow. Um, I mean, it is a dirty chain to a clean chain. It could even be more than seven. And then waxing the cassette, uh, the Molten Speed Wax guy that said to do it, shifts like a dream. Okay. That's also very clean. Other thing I did is a whole bunch of caffeine. I was trying to aim for 800 milligrams of caffeine, which is crazy. And this is also read studies. This is like the upper limits of what they could see would give people performance increments. Okay. It makes you feel horrible as soon as you stop racing. Um, I don't recommend it for people. Start at maybe one to 200 milligrams and see how you go. Well, different people genetically respond to caffeine in different ways. Yeah. So that, that we did a genetic profile yeah. with um, uh, Jessica Nurek, and she said that you either respond to it well or you don't. So you clearly, we sure absorb, have metabolized. So you clearly do well. With I metabolize it quickly. I did a 23andMe test, I think, and it, and it had that kind of Very marker. Similar, yeah. And it says like, I'm, I'm more likely to consume high amounts of caffeine. Okay. okay. Uh, and that one, I mean, that... When you take caffeine pills four or five hours into a race, it lowers your RPE. It makes you feel so, so good. Really? Um, yeah. And I don't know. So these now with these last kind of uh, watts for the carb loading and the caffeine, I don't know. But it could be the difference between a bonk or not. Yeah. I mean, right. it, it could right. be 100 watts, really. You know? Okay. So let's – I want to beat Ryan. So let's say <laughs> – <laughs> There's no competition in this guy at all. I mean, and then the training and all that kind of stuff. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, trainer roads priceless, all that yeah, kind of yeah, stuff. Of but just based on those numbers I just said, the skin suit, the number placement, the tires, the acclimation, and the wax chain, that's 45 watts. So maybe like 57 minutes. Like Wow. Or – That's about an hour at Leadville. Yeah, or 45. If you do a, a minute per watt, that's about 45 sure. minutes. Okay. Um, and then on top of that, not bonking – I mean, but that's, yeah, that's, that, that could that's be huge. 80 watts, 100 watts. I mean, that's the exactly. crew. I mean, crew you're has saying, to account for some watts too. Yeah, yeah, yeah just time. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And one of your last climbs, you you said you were doing like, what was your, your wattage, like 89 or something? Yeah, so that's the, the if I would have done- uh, That this, sounds like me on a regular day. <laughs> going back power line again, I would have actually brought two liter water bottles. SAS makes liter water bottles. Yeah. I would have had them like half frozen, put that in, 
no backpack because the backpack late in the race makes you hot. Yep. Yeah. Like having that big black thing on your back. So I would have had two liters to get to the the next aid station. Yeah. Plenty, right? Yeah. But so I was dehydrated and I looked down at my power meter and said, okay, I can maintain this. And I was going 89 watts. I was like, oh, this is going to be bad. So that was a bonk, right? I mean, that's, that's yeah. blowing up and you were averaging 230 to 250 for the rest of the race. Yeah. So uh, yeah, there, there's the numbers right 89 there. 89's hard. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, cool, man. This has been a very, very interesting podcast. Um, I think anyone who's going to do an ultra endurance event is definitely going to take a lot out of this. Yeah. So thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. And uh, we'll be back for sure. Great. Thanks, Thanks All guys. Right, All right. Thank you. Hey, this is Chris with Flow. When we're not producing this podcast, our team at Flow is designing some of the fastest carbon fiber bicycle wheels in the world. As a thank you for being a listener of our podcast, Faster by Flow, we wanted to offer you 20% off your next purchase of wheels at flowcycling.com. Head over to our website and pick up a set of wheels to make you faster at your next race or ride. Simply use coupon code PODCAST, that's P-O-D-C-A-S-T, in all uppercase letters when checking out to get 20% off your order. Thanks again for listening to Faster. We hope you enjoy the show. Thank you for listening to this episode. Be sure to listen to episode 15, where we interview a list of athletes at the Ironman World Championships to learn what they did to qualify for the race on the Big Island. If you enjoyed the show, please help us by sharing our podcast and by leaving a rating or review. If you want to learn more about our company, Flow Cycling, please visit us online at flowcycling.com. That's F as in Frank, L-O-C-Y-C-L-I-N-G.com. You can also find us under Flow Cycling on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, ride safe.